Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to the show. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so uh, a lot of this week and some of this month, we're going to be zeroing in on what does mental health mean? What are some myths or misunderstanding around some of these mental health issues and diagnoses? Of course, Loveline always has a mental health first perspective, everything centered in mental health. Um, you tend to not really get that anywhere. But um, yeah, so later in the show, we're gonna be talking about what actually is this mental health thing that we keep talking about that we're working towards, debunking some misunderstandings about schizophrenia so as to normalize mental health diversity, and uh, also getting into online shopping. Has it gotten compulsive as you've tried to cope with all the difficult emotions and feelings that are going on, as well as is the relationship you're in healthy for you? But I wanted to just start off the show by talking about what are some things we can just do immediately? What are the simple, easy things we can step into? And again, I repeat these things, um, always adding and subtracting and changing, but just kind of always bringing us back to what is it we should be trying to center in our lives? Because again, and we'll talk about this more in our next segment, but um, Mental health is not about the absence of mental struggles. That's part of humanity. You will feel depressed, you will feel anxious, you will struggle with your relationship to food, your body, drugs and alcohol. It's part of the human condition. So it's it's really about coming back to what are some mental health tips? What are some ways we can keep ourselves grounded, emotionally regulated, present in our lives, resilient? Well, first thing is make sure self-care is your number one goal and priority. You have to. It's got to be the number one thing. And that means body, mind, and for many of us, hopefully spirituality. I want to start talking more about that. That is a part of mental health. But sticking with the body, let's look at what we're eating. Let's look at if we're moving our bodies. We want to eat nutritious food and moves our move our bodies in whatever way we are able, based on ability, as much as possible. That is part of mental health, right? That will help alleviate some anxiety, some depression, some trauma that's stored in our bodies. We might not know what it's tied to. We might not even know that we have it, but movement is a way to expel some of that energy and to be more in our bodies. A lot can come up when we're moving enough. Also, I've talked about this to exhaustion, sleep, sleep, sleep. It's not just how much, it's also about the quality. We've talked about that, we'll talk about that again more. Taking time. To, for self, and that will mean in our current time, taking time away from your phone or other forms of media, sitting in silence. Silence is so important. It's okay if you're playing music. I'm okay with that. I bring music into a lot of my 
meditation. I bring music into a lot of my active imagination use. I'll talk about what that means. But we need time in silence. That is when our unconscious can really make things conscious. That is when we can really sit with ourselves. If we're constantly doing or we're constantly distracted, it's going to prevent us from really, 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 really being with ourselves and really, really, really allowing ourselves to do some of the mental work we need to do. Does my life have purpose and meaning? Am I content in my relationships? Like all of those things are encountered and emerge in space and silence. But we live in a culture where we're always trying to do, 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 bigger, more, faster. We even shame laying around and resting. We call it being lazy or not productive. That is actually very productive, that downtime. We need that. Again, engaging in things that give us purpose and meaning, creativity, love seeing that. Being of service, these are ways we can stay in the process. Engaging in mindfulness or meditation, right? Even getting into therapy, and that sounds really basic to some people, but not everyone thinks that that's money well spent or even important. It's probably one of the most important things you'll do. I remember um, having a little bit of an argument with my aunt where we were talking, this was a time when my finances were not great. And she said, well, where do you spend your money on? And I said, well, one of them is therapy. And she said, do you really think you can afford that? And I said, without mental health, what else do I have? If I'm not working on my mental health, well then my lack thereof will negatively impact my relationships, my romance life, my career, right? Without our mental health, we have nothing. It's woven into literally everything we do. Even if we're by ourselves, single, with no friends, no family, no loved one on a desert island, our mental health still impacts how we feel about being on the desert island. Our ability to be present to all that that island can provide for us or not provide for us. Our ability to cope with our depression or anxiety or isolation and loneliness being on that island. Like there's no space or experience that doesn't have emotional or, or, or mental health woven into it. And I wish more people worked on it. Are you a parent? Are you going to be? Please work on your mental health. Get into some therapy. Your mental health will impact and be intergenerationally transmitted through your children. Are you a boss? Please work on your mental health or get into therapy. Your mental health will impact everyone that works with you or under you. Like as a parent, as an employer, as a friend, as a teacher, whatever we're doing in the world, we're bringing our mental health into those relationships and we're impacting everyone below us or next to us. Truly, are we raging on them and acting out our anger issues? Are we unfairly engaging in power dynamics? Are we abusive and exploitative or coercive, right? Like what is your stuff? Because these are all about relationships and relationships are where our mental health is really called into question and brought up. Our ability to deal with boundaries, disappointment. Do we, do we have boundaries? Do we honor other people's boundaries? Like all of that's in there. There's no space where this doesn't matter. You know, we're going to be talking about this all week and all month. I mean, we always talk about it, but really going to be going hard this month because May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And if, if not now, I want us to really sit down and be paying attention to this. So going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to actually define what is mental health. Um, check out past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. And of course, we'll be doing DMs. So if you got a DM for us, whatever your question is, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Stick around. We'll be back listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back in uh, May, Mental Health Month. So I want to make sure I'm tapping into, uh, I don't know, just really getting into some of the basics of what mental health is. I think that definition itself is really hard for a lot of people to define, and I think it's often misunderstood. This whole topic uh, and my perspectives on it I really realized that it was something that needed more attention and discussion. I spent some time this week 
Uh, interacting with some interns, I'm uh, the clinical director of education for a mental health training program, the Sexual Health Alliance. So if you're a doctor, a nurse, a therapist, a coach, a body worker, and you want to really get trained in sex education or you know sex therapy, the Sexual Health Alliance, SHA, Shaw, um, reach out. We're a training program and we'd love to have you kind of join. But through that process where I do a lot of lecturing and education, um, and again, there's a lot of programs. A lot of them are absolutely horrible. So that's why I like to promote the program I'm a part of. But um, the, the topic came up. How, are, how is everyone defining mental health? What is this thing that everyone's working on and working towards? And, and just sit with that for a second. Ask yourself that. What do you think mental health is? If you're working on your mental health, what is it you're working on or what is it you believe you're working towards? What's the goal? What's the vision? Um, I think a lot of people would say, well, a lack of mental struggles, mental issues, or mental disorders. I think a lot of people might say, uh, you know, elimination of depression, elimination of anxiety. That's not true. Remember, part of mental health is the ability to feel a full range of emotions. Part of being healthy, part of being a human is to feel depressed and to be depressed at times. That is part of the human condition. Mental health does not mean you are never depressed. Mental health does not mean you are never anxious. Mental health does not mean you never struggle with your relationship to shopping, drugs, food, alcohol. That is not what mental health is. Mental health is not purity. Mental health is not perfection. It's the opposite. Mental health is the ability to encounter your anxiety, your depression, your, your relationship to drugs and alcohol, these different ways of being in the world. Your mental health is the ability to, in a healthy way, step in and cope and deal with those factors. It's, a, it's the allowance of, the acceptance of, so mental health is not just the absence of these things because, again, part of a natural, healthy human being is at times to be anxious. Things will happen in our lives that are worthy of feeling anxious or anxiety. You should be worried when your kid takes the car out for the night for the first time. That is worthy of anxiety. That's not a lack of mental health for a parent to say, I'm worried about my child, right? Feeling sad or depressed because something bad is happening or because you woke up in a weird mood isn't a lack of mental health. What you do about that depression and anxiety is where mental health actually shows up and comes in. Do you allow it? Do you accept it? Do you carry it with you, right? When it becomes more ongoing, more problematic, it starts to really disrupt your ability to focus or participate in the other things in your life, that's maybe when we're moving away from mental health. Because again, mental health is the ability to carry these things with you. These are part of the human condition. I have to remind loved ones, friend, family members, friends, clients, you know, maybe you might be getting treated pharmacologically with a med for your depression. And some, a client might come in and say, oh, I'm feeling really depressed this week. I think I need my meds changed. No, your meds, the goal of your meds is to not, is, let, me, let me say this clearly. The goal of medication is not to never feel anxious or depressed again. It's to make it more functional. The goal of medication is to make your anxiety or depression uh, functional. It's, 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 it's about getting it to a level where you can still participate fully in your life. But it is not about making you a robot. That is not the goal. I'd explain that to my mom. Your antidepressant's job is not to make sure you never feel depressed. Things will still happen in your life where you feel depressed. If it removed the ability to feel depressed, it would remove the ability to be joyful and excited as well. Remember, medications tamper down everything. They don't just target depression. Depression isn't a thing. It's not a material thing that lives somewhere in your brain. It's not a chemical issue. It's an experience. It's a perspective. You know, our, bio, our biology and genetics can lend ourselves 
to have more experience of that. But the job of medication is to quiet some of the negative down. It also quiets down some of the positive, which is why some people aren't a fan of meds, especially not over the long term. But those that need them, great. That's a great tool to have access to. I fully support that use. But remember, the goal isn't to make sure you never ever feel anything. Mental health is the ability to feel a full range of human emotions with depth, to be able to drop down in all of them, the ones that we call good and the ones that we call bad. Mental health is about relational health. It's about the ability to have high quality relationships. In fact, my definition of mental health is really relational health. If you're able to participate in all the different relationships in your life fully, then I'm pretty sure you have mental health. Even while anxious or depressed or struggling through a relationship to food or your body or drugs or alcohol, you're still able to spend time with your friends, your family members, right? Mental health is about authenticity, the ability to live in the world in an authentic way. That's why we look at all these problematic systems and trying to dismantle them, right? Mental health is about having healthy coping mechanisms, right? That is where mental health comes in. But it's not the absence of things. It's the ability to live fully with the presence of certain things. So another important way that I kind of define that is I say to people, you know, how are your relationships going? Because again, I'm, I, I'm relationally driven. I like um, a relational perspective because I think our whole lives are relationally centered. Every song, every movie, every book, every discussion, our lives are really much are very much built around that. And I think it really shows us where we're lacking, where our strengths are. And so I always say to people, you know, look at the relationships you're in, look at what your struggles are, look at the issues that come up, that tells you where your work is. Is it about boundaries? Is it about self-regulation? Is it about dealing with trauma, right? Um, is it about coping mechanisms? Is it about uh, not feeling safe, being your full, liberated, authentic self? Um, you know, really, really looking at these perspectives you have, looking at your emotional experience, uh, how you feel in your body. But again, it's not just the absence of symptoms. And I want to make sure I make that really clear because that will never be achieved. Like I said, if that's your goal to never feel depressed or anxious or struggle with coping mechanisms or excuse me, coping mechanisms, you're never going to achieve that. So we have to have a very realistic, grounded definition. So when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, schizophrenia and some really misunderstood myths about that. Um, and we're going to be talking, though, through the lens of schizophrenia, some wider general understandings around mental health, because throughout the week, I want to really deconstruct some of these cultural misunderstandings that we have. And it really does damage and harm to actually all of us, right? So stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back in uh, May's Mental Health Awareness Month, so we're going to be talking about mental health and dismantling some myths. One of them is around mental illness itself, including schizophrenia specifically, so we're going to kind of talk about mental health through the lens of that. Uh, one of the things people need to know is that a lot of people think when we use the word mental illness that we're talking about someone dangerous, and the studies show over and over that people that struggle with severe mental disorders or illnesses are more likely to be a victim of violent crime as opposed to actually being the perpetrator of violent crime. In fact, they're, they're the vulnerable ones. They're the victims. They're not the perpetrators. Most violent crimes are created by mentally healthy individuals, unfortunately, which makes you challenge the definition of mental health when applied to that person. Because in my definition, if you're walking around harming someone, well, then you're absolutely on the narcissism sociopathy spectrum uh, because of empathy towards life, animals, human beings, children, people of color, larger body people, gay people, trans people, all that's part of that definition. And we use that more as a personality disorder, but for me, that's mental illness, is again, not valuing life and not valuing relationality, because um, I think mental health is shown through that lens. But again, 
we have to worry about the healthy people. <laughs> uh, and actually more likely it's people that are intoxicated. That's the highest rates of domestic violence and violence comes from people that are intoxicated on alcohol, not marijuana, which is why it's getting legalized everywhere. And I think that that's a really powerful form of medication for many people. Um, also just a source of fun. You're allowed to just do something for fun. It doesn't need to have a medicinal capacity to make something of worth or value. We're allowed to dissociate and check out, focus on pleasure and have fun. So we're not, it's not that we're not allowed to use intoxicants. Animals use intoxicants. We've been doing these things since the beginning of time. They have a sacred purpose. It's all very much for a lot of people about spirituality, but even animals consume berries and plants that create transcendent experiences. So anyway, to come back to my larger point, it's that people that really struggle with mental health tend to be victims. They're not the people that we need to be afraid of, but that's a powerful misunderstanding. So first off, um, schizophrenia is actually very, very common. It depends on the stats you look at. Um, but this is coming from the World Health Organization. The prevalence of schizophrenia in the United States is about 1.5 million cases. Hard to get exact numbers. Um, and people with uh, schizophrenia, they, they don't have a split personality. There, there's this odd notion, I think it comes out of television, that they have this multiple personality or one minute they're this one way and another minute they're another way. That's just a myth, right? Uh, schizophrenia is characterized by what we call psychotic symptoms. I don't like the use of that word because I think, again, it has a lot of stigma tied to it and it's a pejorative, but they have hallucinations and delusions, right? And they can be visual, they can be audio, um, audio, audio, auditory, excuse me. And sometimes a thought disorder, which is unusual ways of thinking. Um, and there's lots of other things that come with that, but um, multiple personality disorder, we now call dissociative identity disorder. And that's very separate from schizophrenia. And the reason why, again, I'm bringing this up is to normalize these experiences and to not shame. Now, again, it's also depends on the culture you live in. There's some cultures that really value these hallucinatory experiences um, as spiritual experiences. And they work with them in a more spiritual way and they come together as a community and they have guides and, you know, you can look into shamanism to better understand that. But here in America, we consider that mental illness and we medicate and treat that. Uh, we don't like anything that's diverse. We are all about um, assimilation and normality here. And that's fine. Um also, for most people, the stigma is somehow that maybe there's something quote unquote wrong with them, but we really tend to see a combination of genetics, environmental factors, the person's unique brain chemistry, and all these all these things kind of come together to create this. Uh, we don't necessarily have a cure. We don't have the most effective treatments, right? We use a lot of psychotherapy, talk therapy, antipsychotic meds, self-management strategies, but it's a really difficult population to work with because again, not everyone has access to mental health resources, such as medication, such as therapy, and some individuals need support from loved ones. They need community. And in our culture here, we don't really like community. We often want to just kind of send people off or have them, you know, deal with things on their own. And we have a high rate of homelessness, people that are, you know, housingly challenged. And a lot of those individuals are people that struggle with mental health because they don't have access to resources or health care. Uh, <clears throat> I wish we had spaces for these ind people, individuals to get the support that they really need. Um, but they can still live happy, meaningful lives um, with treatment, right? And often people with schizophrenia have families, they have relationships, they are fully engaged in careers, they can be doctors, teachers. Um, this doesn't mean that someone is inherently gonna struggle or lacks intelligence, right? And, you know, again, these are people that we can help 
if you think that there's something going on with your family member, we want to create a loving, supportive space where we can talk to them and help them and get them the resources they need. But what I really wanted to uh, make acknowledge and why I wanted to bring that up is that people, again, assume that there's a violent component to this. And movies are the ones that have really perpetuated that. Um, the reality is that people with schizophrenia are far more likely, as I said, to be victims of violence than the actual perpetrators themselves. And that's and that's what I want to kind of target the more punchy um, disorders that we tend to have a cultural fear around. And we misuse it in movies when we're trying to create these characters that are scary or confusing or, you know, the sense of like thrill. And it's quite it's quite um stigmatizing you know imagine struggling with a mental health issue that you traditionally see presented on television as though you're someone to be afraid of or you're you know at, at risk for high violence um, that doesn't again help people really be able to call out what they're struggling with and get the needed resources right because it creates that shame uh, we have to take a break. When we come back, though, we're going to be sliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. Listen to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. All right. DMs come from our Loveline IG page in the DMs. Uh, let's check in on this first one. This one says, Dear Dr. Chris. Seems like everything is going wrong in my relationship. If it's not one thing, it's another. I feel like we used to take these hurdles in stride, but now it's like we use them as an excuse to bicker and nitpick each other. I feel like I can't do anything right anymore. My partner gets mad at the way I say things and I'm almost numb to it. I suggested a break, maybe hitting a reset button, but we live together and I don't really have anywhere else to go. How can we hit a reset button? I always find that concept interesting. I, uh, we can't. We can't literally reset. And I know you don't mean it literally, but I think I think in a way we often do when we say that. Um, you know, again, our, our current and prior experiences are always going to be taken forward with us. There's no way to forget or undo. And I think that's important to remember. As we're moving into a relationship, we have to be thoughtful about everything we're saying and we're doing and the kinds of things that we're normalizing because we can't always take those things back and we can't always get ourselves out of uh, a rut that we've dug ourselves into. So we have to be very thoughtful. We get to decide what kind of relationship we have. Is it gonna be one centered in companionship, cooperation, love and care? Or is it one that you allow yourself to kind of let your anger run rampant and kind of make it toxic? We have to be aware of that because it takes a lot of time to really create a new experience of each other. That means consistent, ongoing, better behavior for our partner to start to see us differently. So we always have to start with ourselves. You have to start on regulating yourself. You have to start creating a new experience. So you have to be very thoughtful with how you engage. You have to be very thoughtful about stepping on their triggers and having yourself triggered. Learn your triggers. Remember, we need to know what our triggers are. We need to know what are the things that can be said or done that upset us so we can be thoughtful about when they're getting brought up and forward and we can be aware and not necessarily lean in and lose ourselves, right? But maybe you've also realized that you've hit a point where a lack of compatibility has emerged. I can't necessarily get a sense of that. I appreciate that at one point it felt like things were going well and now they're not. And you know the assumption can't be that we should always be able to pull off a long-term happy relationship. Some relationships aren't meant to be long-term. 
And that could be based in uh, more truth coming out. That could be based in the people that we're evolving or be evolving into or becoming just no longer are compatible with each other. We don't always grow and evolve in the same direction, but you're already in the relationship and you live together. So it's really important to do that work. So again, you have to start with yourself identify, literally sit down and identify what are the things that I need to stop doing. This is you speaking to yourself, right? What do I need to stop doing? What do I need to be more thoughtful about, right? What are the things that I have to be cautious around doing even with my partner? How am I upsetting my partner and how am I letting myself become upset? Where do I need to be, where do I need to soften, right? What are the problematic ways that I'm approaching them? What are the things that I need to let go? If you're not willing to do that work, well, then your relationship's going to tank and you're not really going to be a good partner for someone else. This is important work we have to always do. Are we a good influence on our partner? Are we making their life better by being brought in it, right? Are we living and acting and, and speaking from our better, higher self? Making excuses for our bad behavior. There's two of you. So you see like everything feels like it's going wrong. All right, well, remove yourself from that, that, that feedback loop by making sure you're showing up better. You said you used to take things uh, in stride now, but now you nitpick and bicker. Great, be a part of no longer allowing that. Don't be nitpicky. Don't be bickery. Your partner might still be, but if they're now responding to you being calmer and more loving and compassionate, that will also soothe them and calm them down. That's the beautiful part about relationships is there's more than one person in it. So if we make ourselves a positive factor, a positive influence, we can change it. So take that accountability, take that responsibility and give your relationship the best shot. But if you're not willing to do it, well then it's, it doesn't, it, it's dead, right? We can't expect our partner to do it because they're not reaching out. They're not saying that they wanna work on that. So start with yourself, remove yourself as a negative variable and see where you land, you know? Good luck. All right, coming up next, we're gonna be talking about is this relationship good for me? <laughs> I think that's a really important question and concept. Uh, and then we'll be talking about compulsive shopping. I know, it's something more and more people are bumping into again. Pandemic and coping mechanisms, we're kind of uh, finding out aspects of ourselves. You know what I mean? We're, we're new, new parts of ourselves are emerging and uh, parts of ourselves we kind of want to quiet down. So stick around and uh, DMs if you want to get your DM answered, put it in the Loveline IG page in the DMs. All right, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. And um, my gosh, how many of those dating shows are y'all watching? I can't watch them. There's a lot of toxic norms and values that are constantly seeing perpetuated in some of these shows and it just bums me out because a lot of people buy in. They internalize these things. It's, it's not everyone has resources that are challenging what they're hearing, right? Not everyone's in therapy, reading, reading really high quality, psychologically minded books or, you know, socializing with people that are calling out some of the problems and what we're hearing and seeing. And so you got to be really cautious, see it as entertainment, but my God, the things I see. So I see people staying in things. Usually what, what's most problematic for me is people staying in things that have tons of red flags are really toxic. So I wanted to kind of run through some perspectives to kind of use as a little bit of a metric for deciding whether or not the relationship you're in is something you should stay in and also kind of presenting a vision for what could be better. Um, one of the things I say to nauseam is that dating and bringing someone into our life through marriage, through dating, whatever it is, they should make our lives better, neutral to better. We don't date or enter relationships to make our lives more negative or to make them harder. And so that's the first question. What impact does this person have on your life? And as always, self-awareness and self-reflection, what impact are you having on this person's life by your presence? Are you good for them? Are you good for them? What do they need? What do they need from you and are you giving it to them? And then inverse, 
right? So you're looking at the impact. Impact matters. It doesn't matter their intention. It does. I don't care what their intention is. I don't care if they have good intentions. If the impact is nonetheless, even with all the best intentions, they're not able to have a positive impact on your life, it's time to go. Truly, intentions aren't rooted in mental health. Impact is. What is it actually like to have them in our lives? And I see a lot of people hanging in there through really toxic relationships because they think that the person's a good person and means well. But that doesn't matter. They need to be doing better and actively focusing on what needs to change. Also, are you in love and aware of this actual person or are you living in terms of a dream or a fantasy of who you want them to be or who you think they can be? Sometimes that doesn't ever happen. And some people don't want to get back out there. I get that. Some people don't want to start over. Some people think that they've invested too much. Those are false constructs. <laughs> don't stay in something bad or toxic. Job-wise, friendship, relationally, sexually, just because you put time and effort in or because you don't want to start over. Your mental health matters. I want to drive that home this month, if, if not every month, because it's Mental Health Awareness Month, that your mental health matters above all else. That should always be the entry point. Right, we, we prioritize everything else, but don't you want a family? Don't you wanna live the American dream? No, I want my mental health to be intact. And that might mean having to start over, be single again, leave a difficult relationship. But again, you gotta look at who the person really is, not who they can be. That might not ever happen or who you hope they are, right? Sometimes we can take a break and come back. Hey, this isn't working. I'll hit you up in a few years and see if you've grown and changed and matured. But healthy people don't stay in unhealthy relationships, period, end of story, right? Also, what are like what's most important to you? What do you think relationships are about? And is that what's coming from it, right? Does this person in your relationship align with your ethics and values? Do they help you grow and really participate in those areas? Right? I know what my ethics and values are, and I'm in a relationship with someone who supports that and values that and helps enhance that. Our goal is to be good people, right? Our goal is to support each other. Our goal is to be good for each other. Our goal is to support and bring out the best in the other. Our goal is often to put them before ourselves. That's such a beautiful act of love sometimes is that selflessness. And I know that that concept scares some people because some people give too much, right? Or they enter depleting relationships. But there is something really beautiful about saying like, what does this other person need even if it's sometimes to my detriment or or, or putting me out, right? I do like that that perspective at times. And then like I always say the before, during, and after. How do you feel when you're seeing them call? How do you feel when you're with them? How do you feel after you leave? Are they depleting or do they add? Is it, is it, does it remove and diminish or is it additive, right? Is this relationship, this is my favorite question. Does this relationship allow and support you to be your full, total, and most authentic self? Or are they constantly trying to shrink you down? I love that word expansion versus shrinking because some relationships are very much rooted in quieting you down, setting limits and shrinking you. That is not the sign. That's not an act of love. That is not someone being supportive or caring. And that's not the sign of a healthy relationship at all. A healthy relationship is I'll do me, you do you, and we'll go do life together. But I don't need to control you and you don't need to control me because we trust each other. We love each other. We care for each other. They're happy when you're happy. They want your life bigger and better right? And then I also like this final question. If you had someone else, a friend, a loved one, a child in a similar relationship, what would you think about them being in it? Would you support it? Because if you wouldn't support someone else being with this person and dealing with what you're dealing with, a child of yours, a friend of yours, well, then why are you? Why are you? And that falls under that topic of we sometimes allow worse for ourselves than we would ever allow for someone else. Really, 
really sit with that. Would you want someone else to be a part of this and deal with this? And if not, check that. Really, really, really look at that. All right, y'all, we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, going to talk about a, a few things. But one of them is uh, we might be seeing some pharmacies offering mental health services on site. Yep, we're going to talk about that. Stick around. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. I saw this uh, topic in an article, and when I first saw it, I was like, oh, man, I don't know about that. But then when I actually sat and thought about it, it makes sense. So CVS, uh, it's a pharmacy, for those who aren't familiar. I don't know, actually, if every state has CVSs. Uh, they're going to offer at some point, not all of them, but they're going to kind of pilot it, in-store mental health counseling. Now, at first, I thought, oh, man. But then I realized not everyone has access to mental health services. And that might be really meaningful and valuable to some people to be able to enter CVS and schedule an appointment and see someone on site. You know, not some people live in more rural suburban areas that don't have access to a lot of mental health resources and services. Um, it'll probably be lower fee. I don't know, you know, what programs they'll offer payment through, but I actually like that. I like that people will have availability and access. And I think that that's the key. I want everyone to have the ability to get into these resources, right? Um, especially, especially with all that's going on in the world. So this is a quote, says the company is leading the way in trying to fill gaps in access to mental health by piloting a counseling service in some of its retail stores. And by negotiating with insurance companies to cover visits, it's also trying to reduce the cost of mental health care. These gaps have been made worse by the pandemic. Therapists are often overbooked, assuming a community even has one. Many don't even accept insurance, and I, I respect and understand why, because as a mental health provider myself, I understand the insurance companies are completely unethical and um, don't support what's actually required. It's a long, you know, we'll talk about that more on another day. But um, I love this. So basically, it launched already, and it's in dozen stores in Houston, Philadelphia, and uh, Tampa, Florida, with plans to expand to 34 more this year. I think that's awesome. I think that's awesome. I mean, basically they're saying we want to create a place where you can get eye exams, diabetes screenings, vaccinations, prescriptions, and of course also mental health services. I think that's really beautiful. Um, you know, there's a lot of new things coming out like apps where you can do text therapy. Um, we have teletherapy and I really hope that teletherapy sticks around. Um, during the pandemic, they released some of the guidelines and regulations to make it more accessible because people were from home, uh, not able to come into offices. And I know me personally, I was never interested or a fan of offering teleservices. I wanted to see people in real time for interpersonal neurobiological reasons so my body can sit and attach with their body um, so that our nervous systems can wire, our psychologies can be in the same. It's really important to watch uh, nonverbals. But alas... You know, the pandemic happens and I adjusted and now I'm finding a lot of value in it and I will continue to offer it. It also provides the ability to give resources to people that live a little further and aren't able to necessarily drive in um, commute time. And I now have some clients that live hours away 
you know? <clears throat> and it's going to be interesting to see where it goes. Uh, traditionally, you can only work with people that live within the state that you're licensed. I'm licensed in the state of California, so I can only work with California people. But you can also find people that offer non-therapy-based resources like coaching. And coaching is something that you can do with anyone around the world. Coaching does not fall under uh, therapy licensing regulations because it's not therapy, it's coaching. Um, but make sure you're looking at everyone's training and credentialing. Because I'm also seeing a lot of people just overnight deciding that they're now a life coach. And they're, you know, it's not a regulated term, so know that as well. They're just slapping it on their bio and they're like, I'm a life coach. And it's like, that's cool and all. And I'm glad you want to help. But like, what are your theories rooted in? What modalities do you utilize? Where were you trained? How is your mental health? So just check the credentialing. Know that life coach and that coaching word is not regulated. Anyone can use that word. So you want to find out where they trained and what kind of modalities and theories they use. What kind of research have they done? What kind of clinical experience do they have? Um, all that matters. And uh, because again, I value alternative resources as well. Uh, some of my favorite mental health people aren't necessarily licensed therapists and they're still really, really good individuals at, at what they do. Um, but just look into all that, all that backstory stuff because that matters. So uh, we're gonna be talking about online shopping. I, I thought this was fascinating. Um, clients in my practice hadn't really been talking about this, but I was noticing some conversations and I was looking at some articles and realizing that there's a spike in online shopping and some people are starting to feel as though it's compulsive. And I thought, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, you know, think about why that makes sense. People are bored. People are lonely. They need a little fun. They need a little stimulation. People are home all day. And it's really easy to just pop open that laptop or get on your phone and just click, click, click. So online shopping has soared, right? And that makes a lot of sense. Um, people aren't comfortable or able to maybe go to the mall or go shopping, right? Um, I'm trying to look at some of the stats here. E-commerce sales have reached over 843 billion in 2021. 843 billion. I mean, that's quite a number. Uh, God. So Americans are flocking to online shopping, basically. And again, it depends. Some people need things, um, and that makes sense. Other people are doing it for a little bit of a spike in excitement. They're bored. Uh, but also, they're talking about how compulsive buying is significantly associated with some other mental health challenges, substance use, depression, anxiety, some bipolar. And for some people, it's their coping mechanism. Remember, self-care is always positive. Coping, mechanism, coping mechanisms can be positive or negative. It's whatever we choose to turn to to cope. And they all have purpose and it all makes sense. And we need coping mechanisms. But sometimes they take over. Sometimes they have negative outcomes. And so we want to ask ourselves, what are my coping mechanisms? And what kind of impact are they having on me? Can I reduce the harm? Or do I maybe need to find a new one? But the answer isn't to just remove them and have nothing because we do need them. So if you're going to back off of a coping mechanism like shopping all day long or, or whatever else you might be talking about, um, you need to replace it with something. So you want to ask yourself again, what are my coping mechanisms? What is the emotional state or psychological issue that I'm trying to cope with? Is there a way to just resolve the emotional psychological issue? And if not, and nonetheless, is there a way to reduce the harm of my chosen, chosen method or do I need to change it in? Because um, some of them have negative outcomes like smoking weed all day long maybe or drinking a cocktail starting at 10 a.m. or you know whatever your option is. So I'm going to take a little break and when we come back, we're going to break down um, compulsive shopping and also ways to kind of uh, better cope with it because shopping's not going away. It's like food and sex. These aren't things that we can just get out of our lives and still be healthy. We need to engage these things. Drugs and alcohol, people can just move away from that and they'll be fine. But, you know, we need to shop. So we got to learn how to do it in a healthier way. So stick around. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey.
All right, we're back and we're talking about compulsive shopping. Because apparently that has spiked, which I get. People are bored. They need a little excitement. Maybe they need uh, a hoodie in literally every single color. I noticed myself doing that. Yeah, if I can buy one, why not buy five? So it impacts our mental health. Because again, coping mechanisms can be both good and bad. There are ways that we cope. So again, we're talking about what is the emotional or psychological experience that you're trying to cope with? Can we resolve it altogether? And if not, we don't want to just remove coping mechanisms. We need them, right? We need things to help us deal. Sometimes things are happening in the world or emotionally that are far bigger than what we can just deal with on our own. It's okay. But we want to maybe sometimes reduce the harm or switch it out into something that's a little more productive or has a positive impact on us. Because uh, self-care is always positive. Coping mechanisms can kind of go either way, right? Um, so we really want to draw a line. Because again, it's really easy with our computers and our phone. It, waiting in line, not feeling so great to just click, 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 right? And a lot of a lot of us aren't necessarily buying things that are essential. So a lot of us, it's just for novelty seeking or excitement. And again, that's not bad or wrong. It's okay to want pleasure and fun in our lives. And I was saying that earlier. It's okay. You don't need to say, oh, I'm smoking cannabis for medicinal reasons. You can say I'm smoking because it's freaking fun. And I just want some joy in my life. You're allowed to say I'm eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's. Why? Because it's going to put a smile on my face. And it's okay to gain weight. There's nothing wrong with gaining weight, right? We're allowed to put some weight on. That's okay. Right, We're allowed to buy stuff we don't need if it puts a smile on our face, but we want to look at the outcomes of everything we're doing. If it's negatively impacting us, do we need to change the way we're looking at it? Because sometimes it's just that you have to learn how to love your body. Sometimes, though, you might realize maybe I'm shopping too much. It's impacting my finances, and I need to maybe reduce, reduce the harm, harm reduction. I'm a big fan. Not everything that's a problem needs to be completely removed. I work with people on drinking healthier, drinking less, using drugs in a safer way. Not everyone wants complete abstinence, and that's okay. So how can we reduce the harm around your drug use, right? Harm reduction is important. And so shopping, you might not eliminate it altogether. We do have to shop, but how can we have a healthier relationship around it because I want to make sure we're still participating fully in our lives and we're checking in with the people that are meaningful to us. I don't want people blocking out the world and just leaning into these uh, maladaptive coping mechanisms, right? So what are the things we have to use to just understand whether or not eh, maybe it's not just something that's, you know, as light as we want to think it is? Well, compulsive shopping is going to have negative outcomes. So that's the first thing. The things that are important in your life isn't negatively impacting that, right? We don't talk about these things, right? Because we trivialize it. We make a joke. And we also sometimes gender it. Oh, it's just what women do. No, okay, that's not true. It's not gendered. And it's not, let's not normalize something that might feel really maladaptive for someone. You know what I mean? So what are the signs that's a problem? Have you tried to cut back and you've been unable to? That's always a, a sign of an issue with something. Do you feel bad or guilty about it? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. Sometimes you need to say, well, it's okay that I'm purchasing things I don't need because they make me happy. So you have to really sort through that topic a little more. Um, but if it's creating problems in your life financially or personally, if it's the only way you feel like you can deal with a rough day, because we want a wide range of coping mechanisms ideally, right? If it's the only thing that's making you happy, then we want to kind of explore that. Um, and if you feel like you're spending most of your time on it, right? So if you're identifying and you're like, eh, I should maybe work on this a little bit, well, Find, find something else to add some joy to your day because the best way to sometimes get rid of maladaptive forms of coping or bad behaviors is to build them out by building in more good. We push the bad out with the good. We don't just rip it out of our lives. So is there something you can do in addition or instead of? So instead of immediately getting on the computer, can you instead do some cooking before you get on the computer? Can you get on the computer and shop for a bit and then turn and read a book? But we want to kind of find other things to put our energy and focus into as well to reduce some of that harm or in completely instead of. Maybe instead of shopping every day, you do it every 
other day, harm reduction. And instead of it, you go to the gym, you paint, you masturbate. I don't care what you're doing, but find other things that give you joy, pleasure, and that are coping. Um, also, it helps a lot of people to have a shopping list. And they say, this is all I get. And I stick to this because I don't trust myself and I might compulsively buy things I don't need. Do you already have this? Do you actually need that? But again, I wanna hold space for it's okay to get things that you don't need, but it makes you happy. Not everything has to have a purpose. Joy and pleasure are meaningful goals. I wanna make sure I'm always building that in. It's not about building a completely whitewashed, vanilla, boring, rigid life. We are allowed to have frivolous novelty in our life, right? So remember that. Um, also, you might want to unsubscribe from all those emails where they're telling you about all the sales. That can be a trigger. I know I had to undo that because everything sounded like a great deal. Even if it was more than I wanted to spend, if it was half off, you're like, oh, but that's half off. It sounds great, even though it's way more than I need to spend. So I had to unsubscribe from all of those annoying email blasts. Um, also, again, I had to take time away from electronics. So think about that. Also, a budget, keeping track of your spending to really see how much I have to spend and trying to stay within that budget. I think budgeting is great for everyone, but a meticulous record of your spending is gonna maybe help you reduce that habit. Also setting boundaries, right? Um, and then finally, taking breaks. Maybe give yourself a couple days before you actually go and check out. I loved that idea. I read that in an article. Not immediately purchasing, but maybe putting it in your basket or writing it down and saying, let me sit on it for a full day or let me sit on it for three days. And if I'm still interested in it, I can go back and get it or I can go back and check out. You know, It's called delaying impulse because between the trigger and the behavior is a little window where more consciousness and control can swoop in. But we actually have to build that little space in there. Cause most of us go, I want, I get. And it's like, well, between wanting and getting is a little space of more processing and consciousness. It's where boundaries and mental health live. So we try to build that in. All right, y'all coming up next, we're gonna be sliding into those DMs. So stick around, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back. Excuse me, and now it's time to slide into those DMs. Sliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline, I caught your segment a week or so ago talking about children and mental health. I think it's a really important thing we talk about, right? I think we think it's more of an adult, adult thing or adolescent thing, but children, it, it, it all begins at home. Normalizing, talking about mental health, teaching regulation skills, right? Teaching emotional distress tolerance, teaching boundaries, teaching healthy self-esteem, right? Practicing this with our children, letting them practice it with us. It really, really begins. Um, I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and I can already see things happening as they head back to school. One is excited while the other just stays around the house and is actually using the fear of COVID as an excuse to not go. I tried to talk to him about it, but he just shuts down. I want to address this in a way that he opens up to me, but I'm not entirely sure if he's experiencing depression or maybe he's actually scared of COVID. In which case, I don't want to force him to go to school. Yeah, this is a funky dynamic because with children, we're, they're not always even necessarily clear on what their motives are, what they're dealing with, right? So it's hard sometimes for an adult to really be able to interpret what they're seeing, you know? That's why we have child therapists. And oftentimes that's an important resource to uh, look into, right? So it's really hard and impossible for me to diagnose from afar. So I, I don't know either. But all I can say is it's important that you keep presenting as a resource that's calm, cool, and collected so your child will feel safe really expressing to you what's going on and, and being as honest as possible, right? If we're regulated and we're calm and we're safe, they'll come to us. But if we present as someone who's easily frustrated um, 
we ridicule, we punish, they're not gonna tell us things, right? And so trying to decipher whether or not your child is maybe struggling with some depression or actual fear of COVID, it might be a combination of both. I don't know what other factors are going on. I don't know how you know things are at home. I don't know how um, your child is in terms of friends. I don't know if school's a site of trauma. We wanna make sure we're not assuming school's a neutral place. For a lot of people, it's a source of violence and trauma, especially people who are, you know, have exploited a marginalized identity. Trans and, and gay, trans and LGBTQIA individuals usually don't fare too well at school. It's not always a safe space. Um, so maybe your child's being bullied. Maybe your child doesn't enjoy the way school operates. Some kids are meant to be homeschooled. Some kids aren't built for the regulation and conformity that school enforces and mandates. I don't know. But just keep that open, safe relationship going with your child and they'll express more and you'll kind of work through it. And if you don't feel like you're making any headway, then maybe make an appointment with a child therapist. Um, I don't work with children. Uh, and I also don't want you to maybe uh, miss picking up on important symptoms of a larger problem. So um, when in doubt, seek expert advice. And this is a hard one, y'all. I think a lot of us are maybe even as adults struggling with what, what is depression, what is anxiety, what's realistic fear of what's going on with COVID, what's not, right? Like we have to talk about these things. Um, I know before we go back to school or work, we should be asking questions like, what's the vaccination policy? How have you worked with airflow? Because some people work in offices or spaces where they don't have windows that can be opened or air that can be purified. So those are the two main questions. What's your vaccination policy? Can you mandate and promise that I will be around only vaccinated people so it's safe? And number two, what have you done to protect airflow and to disinfect? And if they don't have good answers for either of those questions, that's not safe to go back to work or school. Um, there's a lot of reasonableness in all of this. Because remember, transmission is still occurring with variants. The uh, vaccines are not 100% effective, though necessary. And um, we never know where the people around us have been and what they're up to, right? Oh, man. Tough times. Light at the end of the tunnel for a lot of us, but not necessarily for all of us. Just be soft and kind with everyone. Everyone's at a different place with this. That's one of the more fascinating things to see is not everyone's as far along as others. Some people have been actually out there kicking around for months now, but then other people moving slower. I know I've been very, very much at a slower pace, but it's because I'm, you know, again, prioritizing my mental health and not rushing myself in anything. Right now, everything work-wise I do, uh, I'm able to do from home and socialization, I'm okay with delaying. I've been using a lot of like FaceTime, some hangouts, you know, outdoors and things like that, but we got to be where we are, y'all. All right, that is our show. If you want to check out past episodes of Loveline, you do so by going over to wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. Bam, there they all are. Post them, share them, binge them. And if you got a DM for us, put it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. We'd love to hear from you. Whatever you're wondering about, worrying about, struggling with, we're here for you. Coming up tomorrow, though, we're going to be talking about mental health in terms of celebrities. Celebrities that have come out normalizing mental health issues as well as a little bit of an update on uh, masks. Important information. I learned a lot myself. So stick around for that or actually join us tomorrow for that. As always, y'all, thanks for hanging out and you enjoy the rest of your night.